It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Hey, so as well as those of you joining us uh, online for our new uh, online experience, also many of you joining via audio, via our podcast, and uh, you've heard me say before, uh, we consider our, our extended Elevate family. It's great to have you with us from wherever you are in the world listening. Uh, I would encourage you to download our uh, Elevate Church app version 2.0 because you might yourself want to uh, check out our new online experience and you can download our app and see it uh, from there. Hey, question. Have you ever been in a situation where you found yourself saying or thinking, man, I need a miracle? You know, it might have been a small miracle. You know, maybe in the morning, you kind of something's happened at the house or just uh, you slept through your alarm, pushed the snooze button a few too many times and now you're like, oh boy, I, I got to get to work and I'm cutting it a bit fine here and there's traffic and you're getting every red light, you think to yourself, oh my gosh, I need a miracle. God, if you could just make all the lights green from here on in, I'd really appreciate that. Um, maybe you're uh, going out, you're going to visit a friend or you're going to pick up a friend at a particular time and you get in the car, you start the ignition and boop, you hear that ominous sound, the fuel warning sound. You remember, oh, I was going to fill up the tank last night and I forgot. And so you look, you look and, you, and your fuel uh, not just the light goes on, but the, obviously some of the newer cars have the number, the number of kilometers that you've got on the current level of fuel. You see that, and you do a quick mental calculation. Okay, that's how many kilometers left. How far do I have to travel? And you realize that the distance you have to travel is actually greater than the number you're seeing on the screen. But you haven't got time. You've got to get it to your friend. You said you'd be there at a certain time, so you risk it. You take a chance and you're driving there and the whole way you're praying, God, I need a miracle. Or maybe you're in school, maybe you're in university, or maybe you can remember your days studying. Uh, exam day, that fateful exam day. And you walk into that classroom or you walk into that lecture theater, you sit down and the teacher or the lecturer puts that exam paper in front of you. And uh, you think, well, I don't even know if I believe in God in this moment, but man, I'm, if God, if you're real, I'm praying to you and uh, I need a miracle right now. Um, by the way, I did uh, hear of a teacher uh, praying for their students on exam day one day, and this is the prayer that they would pray. Lord, bless each student according to their level of preparation, which, uh, you know, if you haven't prepared, that's a terrible prayer, but, but it might be a big miracle. Uh, Remember last year, being a, a church that I'm sort of uh, connected to, uh, one of the, the, the people, one of the team members in their church, their two-year-old son um, was in a critical condition, uh, not necessarily expected to live, and the church prayed for him over a period of time, and, and, he, and he lived, and he lives to this day. And, you know, God heard that prayer and answered that miracle. Um, then also last year for us as a church, one of our team members, uh, she was rushed to hospital with pneumonia and uh, she sent out a text from there. Hey, I'm, I'm in hospital. I've got pneumonia. If you, if you could pray for me. And we prayed for her. And uh, sorry to say that, that despite our prayers and us asking God for a miracle to heal her, she, she passed away um, from pneumonia. And 
you know, here's the thing about miracles, and we, we start talking about miracles. It's complicated. Uh, I don't pretend to understand why God seems to answer some prayers, why He seems to do a miracle in some situations and not in others. Uh, but I will tell you this. Uh, I do believe that God has done miracles. I do believe that God can do miracles, and I do believe that God will do miracles. And so what we're doing uh, today to coincide with the launch of our online experience is actually la launching a new six-week series called Miracles Happen. Um, and maybe you need a miracle right now. Maybe you uh, need a miracle in your health. Uh, maybe you need to break free from an addiction. Maybe you need a financial miracle. Well, I want to encourage you to journey with us over these six weeks as we teach through this series, Miracles Happen. Now, when you read through the accounts of Jesus' life written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, collectively, they record about 34 miracles, depending on, on how you count them, of which John uh, recorded seven of those 34 miracles. Um, now, this, we're going to look at the miracles uh, that John recorded. Uh, the seven miracles we're teaching for uh, six weeks, so we have, it's a bit like deciding which of the kids you don't like. Uh, we're going to have to put one of these miracles on the chopping block, but we're going to teach for one of these uh, six miracles uh, over these six weeks. So I'm excited and um, I hope and invite you to join us on that journey as well. Now, little Bible college fact for you. Uh, Jesus began his public ministry when he was 30 years old. And the reason for that is that Jesus entered uh, his sphere as a, as a rabbi, as a Jewish rabbi. And uh, rabbis weren't actually allowed, the, the way it was set up, to begin their public ministry uh, until they were 30 years old. So when Jesus uh, turned 30, he went down to the river, got baptized by his cousin John, and, and then launched uh, effectively his public ministry. And really, the, the launch, apart from some people knowing that he got baptized and seeing that event happen, the launch was around a miracle. And I, and I always think if uh, Jesus had hired me as his PR manager and he said, look, you know, Mark, I'm, I'm, I'm 30 now, I'm going to get baptized, and then I'm going to go public. I'm going I'm to perform a miracle. Um, and that's going to be like the big announcement to, to the world, I'm here and I can and I will do miracles. And if I was his PR manager, I'm like, okay, well, what should we start with? Uh, maybe uh, heal uh, the sight of some blind person. That'd be cool. That'll get a bit of press. Uh, well, no, uh, a guy that can't walk, a crippled, crippled person, get them walking again. I mean, you know, the press can't deny that. Can't call that fake news. Or, uh, or, or maybe we just kind of go launch large and uh, find somebody that's dead and raise them from the dead. Uh, you know, that's me if I was his PR manager. But of course, I wasn't and uh, Jesus didn't have one. He kind of figured out what was important and did that. So I want to show you and take you to the actual first public miracle that he performed. And it might not be one that you would expect when you consider that it was his first public miracle. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, if you've got your uh, second screen device, I know you have, uh, shut down Instagram. And I, and I encourage you to get the Bible app or open the Bible app if you have that and uh, find your way to John chapter 2. Um, I'm going to read it from the message version. Uh, so if you have the message version, it's going to make sense. If you don't, you'll still catch, uh, keep up, but you'll be like, uh, those are different words to me. All right, fine. Anyway, so get the Bible app or open the Bible app. John chapter 2. Um, now, John chapter 1 He's writing about who Jesus is, and it's, it's sort of some sort of it's good stuff. It's but it's kind of like 
poetic hippie stuff. Um, so you can go back and read that if you want. But we find John writing in what's now chapter two. Uh, we find Jesus and, and his mother Mary and uh, his 12 closest disciples at a wedding, a wedding celebration. These wedding celebrations were a big deal. They likely had most of the people in the town or the village at the wedding. They tended to go on for days, sometimes weeks. They had been planned for months and months and months in advance. And uh, so we have Jesus, we have his mother, and we have his 12 disciples at this wedding. And uh, this is what John tells us about what happened. When they started running low on wine at the wedding banquet, Jesus' mother, which is Mary, told him, they're just about out of wine. And Jesus said, huh, is that any of our business, mother, yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. <laughs> and being a good mom, she went ahead anyway, telling the servants, whatever he tells you, do it, which is a good rule to live by. Now, there's a spoiler here. They ran out of wine. Jesus got some water and turned the water into wine. A lot of people know that even if they're not a church person. Um, so that's the spoiler here. Uh, but at face value, if you think, you know, the, the, the wedding party, they're running out of wine. Uh, Jesus turns water into wine. He's just, he's a good guy. He just wants to help them keep the party going. But actually it was a lot more layered than that. And uh, we're pretty clear that the big idea of why Jesus would uh, insert himself, despite some initial reluctance, insert himself into this uh, wedding scene by turning water into wine, was the idea that running out of wine or running out of anything at these sort of wedding uh, celebrations was an incredibly big deal. It was incredibly embarrassing. It would have brought incredible shame to the bride, uh, to the families of the bride and the groom. It, it's like, saying to the guests that these people either don't have a clue what they're doing or they don't uh, value you enough to have put in the time and the effort and the financial investment to make this thing, you know, be a wedding as per the culture of the day. Um, and <laughs> the rest of the community would never have forgotten that. And we know that people that get married, they want their weddings to be memorable, but memorable for all the right reasons. And yet this was one that was about to go south. And uh, hey, it does happen though. Uh, author Robert Fulgram, uh, during the week, catching a story that he wrote about a wedding that he actually officiated at. And uh, he, he was bragging on this wedding uh, about the fact that the bride and the mother of the bride had planned this thing. And he knew this because he was tracking with them in the lead up to the wedding day as the, as the celebrant himself uh, had planned this meticulously. He'd never seen a, a, a level of detail like he saw with this mother of the bride and the bride herself. The way they, they thought of everything, they cross-checked everything, they went to the extremes with everything. Um, he was so impressed. And then, of course, the day finally came. The family and friends were gathered at the church. He was at the front of the church. There was the, the groom and the, be the best man and, 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 the, and the guys there as well. Big orchestra they'd hired to, to play the music um, for the day. And uh, right at the time that the orchestra started playing, here comes the bride uh, on cue. Four flower girls made their way down the aisle of the church. Uh, two ring bearers. Uh, then the bridal party, and then finally, as is custom, uh, the bride and the father of the bride start uh, to make their way down the aisle. What 
Robert the celebrant and what the guests, the family and friends there didn't realize is that this bride being so kind of throttled up about this wedding day that she'd arrived about two hours early, two hours prior to the start of the ceremony along with her bridesmaids and her father. And they'd kind of uh, just kind of hung out at the adjacent reception hall where all the food was laid out for the guests after the wedding ceremony, they were gonna go back there. So she was there for a couple of hours. Uh, and it uh, turns out she was just mindlessly picking at some of the, the snacks and some of the foods that were there over that two hour period. Um, here's a list of some of the items that uh, were on offer for that particular uh, reception hall. Some mixed nuts. So she, and she, this is, she ate a combination of all of what I'm about to tell you. Some mixed nuts, including pecans, uh, a couple of cheese balls, black olives, a handful of glazed almonds, those little glazed almonds you see at weddings, um, a party sausage with a little toothpick inside, a couple of prawns wrapped in bacon, um, a cracker piled with liver pate, and a few other things lying around. And then of course, when they heard the orchestra start playing, Here Comes the Bride, uh, her father handed her a couple of glasses of champagne just to calm her nerves. Well, this is what Robert literally wrote about what happened next. He said, what you noticed as the bride stood in the doorway was not her dress, but her face, white. For what was coming down the aisle was a living grenade with the pin pulled out. The bride threw up just at the moment she walked past her mother. And by threw up, I don't mean a polite ladylike little erp into her handkerchief. No, she puked. And I mean, she hosed down the front section of the church, hitting two bridesmaids, the groom, a ring bearer, and me, the celebrant. She puked on the pastor. Fact. Life can be messy. Even when you've planned it down to the last detail, things don't always go according to plan. And so here we have Jesus, his mother, his uh, 12 OGs at this wedding, and things all of a sudden for the host, the bride and her family, things weren't going to plan. And, and, and Mary, being a mother, um, being part of some, someone who would have been entrenched in the community, and that's why they were there at the wedding as guests, uh, seemingly felt a lot of compassion for the family. And, and, and she'd obviously uh, had the privilege of having a, a literally a front row seat to Jesus growing up from birth to 30 years old. And she, even though he initially pushed back, she trusted that he would actually default to compassion and that he would do uh, something and insert himself into solving this problem. And so John goes on to say, six stoneware pots were there used by Jews for their ritual washings, each held 20 or 30 gallons. Um, Jesus ordered the servants, fill the pots with water and they filled them to the brim. And now fill your pitchers, fill your jugs and take them to the host, Jesus said, and they did. Now, we don't know at what point in this process, what point in this miracle, the, 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 like you know, what was the split second that the water became wine? We don't know that, but, it, but it, it, it looks like this miracle wasn't a zap. It looks like this miracle was actually a process that Jesus had to, uh, you, you know, people, or in this case, Mary, 
um, requested something of him, essentially asking him for a miracle. Um, he inserted himself into that process. He actually instructed the servants to go and get um, go, go and get vats of water. And I'm, and I'm like, if I'm one of the servants and wine's running out, you're telling me to go get water. I'd be like, Jesus, I don't actually think you understand the problem we're trying to solve here. Uh, we don't need more water. We need more wine. But despite them not uh, fully understanding why Jesus would be asking that of them, to their credit, they did what Mary said to do, which was to do whatever Jesus asks you. And that's the thing about miracles. I do believe that God sometimes does the zap, that sometimes in an instant uh, people are healed, that sometimes in an instant uh, miracles take place. Yet I'm also aware, and, and, and this is throughout history, this is in my own observation and experience, that a lot of miracles actually uh, look more like a process. And, 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 and our response isn't only to do what Jesus is asking us to do once, but to continually do what Jesus is asking us to do, understanding that maybe your miracle is actually going to become reality for you, not in a zap, but actually as the result of a process. Maybe in your marriage, you know, you've been praying for a miracle. Well, if that's you and that's your story right now, um, then my encouragement is to you, to you is to keep doing the things that God's telling you to do. Keep going to counseling, keep praying for your spouse, not for God to, to change them, but for God to, to bring your marriage together um, and keep developing yourself. You know, there's obviously something that God can do in us sometimes. And all of that, I hope, will culminate in you uh, in, a, in, a, in six months, uh, in a year, uh, in two years, whatever it takes, maybe, but culminating you sitting on a porch, sitting on a table in a park with planes going overhead, um, and, and, and having a coffee and looking at each other and, and saying, you know what, we, we, actually, we actually survived the battles. And uh, boy, the, the work and the process was worth it. Um, maybe you need a miracle in your finances. And uh, I mean, boy, I, I wouldn't need a, ever need a miracle in my finances if I had a dollar for every time somebody said to me, well, if I just could win the lottery. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, sure, it, maybe you would, maybe you will. Um, but you know what? Until then, uh, there's probably a process that you could actually undertake that's gonna position you and allow God to be involved in your finances. You know, create uh, a financial plan, create a, a spending uh, plan. Uh, start exercising the discipline of, of spending less than you earn. Start paying down debt. And, and what you'll see, and I've, and I've seen it in my own life, uh, Louisa and myself, we've seen it in, in increasing numbers of people within Elevate Church who were in a, a financial uh, stress situation and over the course of a process, uh, they're now financially free and uh, continue to move forward. But it was a process. But I want, you to, I want you to see when you look at this story and read this story, and you know, this is not a fiction story, a once upon a time story. This is something John recorded. He was there at the wedding. He was one of the 12, um, you know, literally had a front row seat, literally writing an, an eyewitness account. I, I want you to notice what Jesus' default wasn't. I mean, yes, initially he was like, woman, mother, it's not my time. But then he's like, okay, go and get some water. Um, 
I want you to notice what his default wasn't, and I, and I especially want you to notice what his default wasn't in light of one, what maybe your preconceived notion of, of, of what Jesus is like or, or, or what he does, um, or, or maybe some people you know have, have a preconceived notion that's a bit skewed, that's certainly different from this. And also look at his response, his default response in light of the current uh, world we live in, particularly when it comes to social media and, 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 and the excess of exposure to media that we currently experience. Let me, let me show you what Jesus' default wasn't. When, when, when he became aware that they were running out of wine, his default wasn't outrage. Oh, opens up Twitter. Can't believe they ran out of wine. What losers? Hashtag all the gear, no idea. I mean, just he just didn't go there. Um, we live in a cancel culture. You know, if somebody's not pleasing us or if something's not pleasing it, we literally, pleasing it, we just, we, we write them off. You know, Jesus, he didn't cancel the wedding. And when I say cancel, meaning like, that's it, they're out of wine. I'm out of here. Let's go, fellas. Get out the door. Now, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm unfriending that moron bride on Facebook. He, he, he didn't go there. There wasn't outrage. There wasn't cancel. And, 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 and maybe more importantly, or most importantly, there wasn't shaming. See, Jesus was made aware of what was going to become a publicly uh, obvious and, and evident situation and problem that would have ultimately brought shame on the bride and her family. He became aware of that in the background. He became aware of that where the servants were hanging out. And he chose to stay there. He chose to not come out and make an announcement and shame the bride and her family. He chose to stay there and not jump on Instagram and record a story. Oh, I'm at this lame wedding. They ran out of wine. Oh, what's missing? Go out and take a picture and put, put the caption. Uh, can anyone guess what's missing in this picture? Hashtag wine. He didn't do that. He stayed in the background. Because his goal is, is restoration. His goal is to actually be part of the solution. And, and when you're feeling, and you should, and, and I guess some of you probably know this, when you've messed up or when things aren't going according to plan, when mistakes have happened, even mistakes that, that you may have even potentially been the instigator for, uh, you're already feeling the shame. And the last thing you need is people around you pointing out the problem, pointing out your deficiencies and heaping more shame on you and escalating things and amplifying things and, and publicizing things. So Jesus' default wasn't to shame. Jesus' default was to restore. And I gotta, I gotta, I gotta ask you, wouldn't you want that to be Jesus' default when you mess up? And, 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 I, I mean, and if this is true, if, if what John's saying is true, if this story really is true, and John's writing an eyewitness account. Aren't you glad that's who Jesus is? Aren't you glad that's how Jesus is? I mean, it even makes me wonder if this is, if this is true, why more people wouldn't turn to Jesus when they've messed up rather than run and hide or play hide and seek or duck or cover or hope Jesus never finds out. It's like, no, go and tell him. Go and tell him because he's not going to shame you. He's gonna, he's gonna try and help restore you. What he offers, and there's a, there's a churchy word for this, and, and it's, it's the word grace. And, you know, maybe you've sung about it, even if you're not a church person, you maybe sung the song Amazing Grace. I heard it this morning on NBC Today. Just get some guy up and 
on the broadcast sing Amazing Grace for the country. And, uh, but grace is a churchy word and you can sing that song and not quite know what it means. So let me just break it down for you in not Bible college language. The way I like to explain grace is grace is giving you what you don't deserve. That when you make a mistake and you present yourself to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I messed up. Uh, I need you to help me. He extends grace. He, he doesn't offer punishment. He offers forgiveness. And even if the mistake's your fault, by the way, if the mistake's your fault, <laughs> then it's actually quite reasonable that you'd get punished. I mean, do the crime, do the time. But that's not Jesus' MO. When we come to Him and say, I messed up, I need your help. He extends grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness, help, healing, restoration. He wants to be part of leading you out of the mess. And so here's how John lands this series of events. When the host, that's the MC, and their job was kind of like, you know, taste it before, see if it's good. When the host tasted the water that had become wine, and he didn't know what had happened, but the servants, of course, knew. Uh, he called out to the bridegroom, whoa, everybody I know begins with their finest wines. And after the guests have had their fill, brings in the cheap stuff. But you've saved the best till now. This act in Cana of Galilee was the first sign Jesus gave, the glimpse of his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, final thought. I'm not saying Jesus condones every dumb thing we do. I am saying, however, if we turn to him, whilst he doesn't condone, he doesn't condemn. I'm not saying there won't be consequences for some of the choices we make, but that Jesus would actually insert himself into the story to help move us beyond the consequences, help heal, help bring restoration, the miracle of grace, one of the most powerful miracles that any of us can ever experience. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love you to join us for one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information about our great Elevate Kids and Elevate Youth environments, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me, and also download our Elevate Church AU app.